everything else versus Bitcoin essentially gets spent and dies. I want to be able to have reactive security. And I think OpVault is today the most straightforward, easiest to use way to do that. I will not be insulted by a clockmaker. <laughs> Overall, these kind of ways to make the network easier to both build on and interact with, I think is a really big deal. If Bitcoin existed when we started Twitter, we would not have to go down the ad model path. I mean, it's simple as that. Integrating Lightning into a social network is the killer app. Hello, and welcome to the Bitcoin.Review podcast, where we explore developments and projects with the people who actually make them happen. The show is supported by Pod 2.0, Sat Streaming, and Coinkite. If you're a new listener, I'm NVK. I run CoinKite, where we've been helping people secure their Bitcoins for over a decade. We make the cold card and fun products like the Block Clock. You can find more information about it on CoinKite.com. Hello, and welcome back to the Bitcoin.Review podcast. My voice is back, and uh, we did manage to bore everyone to death on the last episode. The list was uh, long and prosperous. Today, we're going to be talking about lightning privacy, splicing, and other very cool things with uh, an absolute amazing panel here. Uh, just before that, I have a couple of things I want to, to set out some updates. So OpenSats is now taking grants uh, for a Bitcoin application, sorry, taking apl grant applications for Bitcoin projects and Noster projects and lightning projects. And uh, there is about 5 mil for Noster, 5 mil for, for Bitcoin. So, so do apply. I joined as a board member and Gigi joined as the ops person. And, uh, and we're, we're going to get those sats flying. So uh, let's, let's get that funding going. The other thing is for cold card users, we have merged Taproot uh, and BSMS with that. So uh, expect a separate edge release and we'll go with that. So without further ado, guys, I have uh, have some awesome guests here. Let's let's start uh, with some intros. Uh, Jeff, welcome back. Hey, how's it going, NBK? Uh So yeah, my name is Jeff. I am a developer at Spiral. I've been working in the Bitcoin space for about four years now, and my current project is the Lightning Development Kit implementation of Lightning. It's more of like a SDK. Awesome, uh, Tony. Pickle Tony. <laughs> hey guys, this is Tony. Um, Lightning Dev, one of the co-founders of Mutiny with Ben and Paul Miller. Yeah, I've been talking about Lightning Privacy for a while, so looking forward to this. Very cool. Uh, T-Bast. Hey, I'm T-Bast. I've been working at Async on the Lightning specification and our in implementation Eclair and also our Phoenix wallet. And I've done a lot of things around Lightning Privacy as well, like blinded paths. So excited to be talking about that here. Yeah, we did uh, an episode, the Lightning Panel, episode 15. So uh, for people interested on this, they should definitely uh, go check out that episode. Dusty Demon. Hey, what's up? Uh, Dusty uh, Damon. Um, not that it matters. <laughs> I know. I it, You know, it's uh, it, it, people haven't settled if it's like Demon or Damon for uh for the demons it's, it's like proof of work <laughs> if you can like you know pronounce damon then you can find me on twitter and also spell it so good luck with that <laughs> <laughs> and uh so dusty what, what do you do i'm independent lightning protocol engineer uh i've been working on splicing for the last god like two years now so so does that mean we ship 
Uh, shipping, like right now, me and T-Bass <laughs> got to get interrupt going uh, soon, soon TM. <laughs> Two weeks? Two weeks. Two weeks. Okay. And uh, Vivac, uh, Seared Salmon, uh, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, just, you know, VP of BD at CoinKite and recovering Greenlight and CLN show. <laughs> <laughs> nice to have you, sir. So props to to Vivek for putting this uh, this this panel uh, episode together. It's kind of cool. So guys, where where do we start here? This is this is a hairy long big topic. So um, so so how about uh, wh- why don't we sort of like maybe cover a bit of a primer on on the state of things, right? Like w- where are we in Lightning in terms of like things that that are par- privacy related that are either just shipped or about to ship. Let's not talk about things that are going to come in sort of like, you know, months from nice deal. Like just right now, what, what's going on? Who wants to take that? Go ahead, T-Bast. So basically, I'd say that why once you are inside Lightning, sender privacy is good, receiver privacy is not. When you are interacting with the chain, like opening channels or everything you do on chain, privacy is not great. So that's an easy way of summarizing all the things where you have or don't have privacy. And for all of those, we have things in the works. Some of them are coming sooner than others, but there's, there's still a lot to do if we want privacy to be better on across the whole board. Okay. So, so like, if you want to get a little bit more like, like detailed on this, like, you know, why is it that receiver privacy is bad right now? Receiver privacy is bad for many reasons. First of all, if you, when you receive a payment at the cryptographic level, because of onion rounding, the guy just before you he sh- shouldn't be able to infer that you are the final recipient. But if you, if you're not careful about adding CLTV expiry deltas on top of the current block height, it's actually very easy to infer that the next guy is actually the recipient. Also, when you are using unannounced channels, Oh, actually, this this has become better. A few months before, when you were using unannounced channels, your invoices were leaking your unannounced channels all across the, everywhere because pe- people just pasted invoices directly on Twitter. And once you've dox- doxed your channel, you've doxed it forever, or you have to pay on-chain fees to open a new one. And this has become better since we introduced SCID aliases, which lets you give an, an alias to a channel, which is much better, but it's... It doesn't hide the public key of a recipient, and this is getting much better with Blended Path. With Blended Path, you're finally getting good privacy with some trade-offs on uh, potential usability. How, how do Blinding Paths work? Okay, so bl- Blended Paths are, if you, I guess everyone has a vague idea of how rendezvous routing works in Onion, uh, in Onion networks, where the receiver, when you want to receive a message, instead of directly giving your address or your node ID, you find paths to yourself that take a few hops to reach you. You encrypt those and you just tell people, get to that introduction point and they will know how to reach me with this encrypted blob that I'm giving you. So people who are sending payments to you only learn the identity of a few introduction points that you chose on the network. So you can choose them however you want to make sure that people cannot infer that then you are the recipient. So the algorithmically speaking, and in order to be able to receive, to make the most of your incoming liquidity, 
this isn't trivial to correctly choose your blinded paths. And that's something that we are experimenting with a lot. And there's a lot of cool stuff to do to make sure that this doesn't impact usability too much. But in theory, once you're able to choose routes that still allow you to have enough income liquidity, you're able to make people enter uh, a route towards you, far away from you, or at least in different places in the network so that they just have no way of figuring out what node ID you are. And it's even better if you are a wallet user that doesn't have any public announced channel because then you, no one should see your public, your node ID anywhere. You have no reason to advertise anything. Yeah, there's almost like a, a little bit of a, um, uh, with rendezvous routing, you hinted at it, but uh, who you select as your introductory nodes is, is important too. Like if, if you're only, if you're the only person that keeps selecting the same introductory nodes, um, you can kind of do some analysis there and kind of guess that, okay, that's the same person. So yeah, are, are you guys, uh, you know, I, I'm not... I'm just like uh, a lightning protocol LARP. Like I never touch protocol code. I'm just like right above it, like, you know, fine grain anal analyzing it. But um, do you, are you guys like taking into consideration like how you actually select which introductory node uh, for the users to maintain their privacy? Yeah, sure. That's something we, we are working on. At first, I thought that the hard part was coming out with a cryptography to protect that, but then it's only just the first step, actually, just like doing onion routing and saying, oh, in Tor, we are using onion routing, so everything is private, was only the first step and is just not enough. It's the same here. Doing the cryptography at the cryptographic level, everything works, but you need to make sure that some other metadata doesn't leak your identity and choosing your routes correctly changing your routes, but not, not too often. There are a lot of ways the way you choose your blinded paths can expose who your node is. So this is really far from easy. It really needs a, a lot more research and a lot more experimentation because we can say we have a good algorithm, this, this works correctly. But th there are cases where it's much easier. For example, if you are a mobile wallet using a few LSPs, this, it's much easier to choose your introduction point. You could just use your LSP, one of your LSP as the introduction point, another LSP that you are not connected to, but you know that LSPs are correctly, have good connectivity between themselves as another introduction point. And since your node ID is completely private, there's a, this is a good way of getting good privacy without sacrificing incoming liquidity that much. But in the general case, for normal public nodes that have a lot of channels on the network, this is much harder, and this is uh, this is where we have a lot of fun things to do, algorithmically speaking, in graph analysis to make sure we we are able to score the privacy of a blinded path, and it's it's really non-trivial, but it's going to be a lot of fun to explore. Yeah, one of the things there though is at least like um, the blinded paths are supposed to go over the Onion messaging protocol, right? Um, the Bolt Twelve Onion Onion spec, so at least like. It's only being leaked to the sender and not like the whole world. Like even if I, I believe I could be wrong. Even if you post a bold twelve invoice on the internet, um, sure other people can try to query it at least. But you know, once that invoice is expired, um, it you know some may not expire. But once that invoice is expired, no one will see um, your routes again, right? Yeah, but there, there are potentially issues as well, because someone sending you an invoice request over an unknown message to get an invoice with blinded paths, if you refresh and change your blinded paths too often to change the introduction points you select, 
that guy can just make it look like they just failed to use the previous blinded paths because of a liquidity issue somewhere in the network. So you're giving them new blinded paths, but every time you give them a new blinded path with a new introduction point, potentially that helps them triangulate in some way who, what your node ID is. So you need to protect from that and make sure you don't give out too many different blinded paths to, to users, but you don't really have a very easy way to throttle those. So those are open questions, which honestly we haven't had time to completely thoroughly look at, but we, we know there are potentially a lot of issues there and we need to spend a lot of time researching them and figuring out how to best protect against that. Dusty, do you, uh, do you want to jump in? Yeah. I mean, like the privacy on lightning is a big complex subject. I think like there's a lot of details you can get into talking about, but at a high level, like today, I think, and maybe a part of this is just the obscurity of lightning. I think that um, Lightning is is quite private. It looks like probably about a year and change ago, year to year, two, two years ago, there was a guy who was just using Lightning as a coin join service to clean stuff. There was this activity where people were opening channels to big nodes, moving all liquidity into the Lightning network, and then just not even closing the channels, just abandoning them. And, and it looked like it looked like uh, people were just using it to wash Bitcoin, right? So I think that we have evidence in the wild that like people have been using Lightning for um, to do very private stuff. Um, but like obviously, like there's more we can do. I think like blinded paths, PTLCs, stuff on Horizon. We're not, talk, not trying not to talk about Horizon stuff, but there is stuff on the Horizon to uh, make things a lot better. I just think it's. I just like to say like there's hope. I think Lightning's already in a pretty good privacy spot, and I think that uh, it can be a little. We will hear the complex like discussion more private. What we're really doing is like in my mind, I'm like, we got like ninety percent, we're gonna last ten percent. Like, don't be scared. <laughs> so if you had to sort of like do do a comparison, right, between like base layer transactions that we have right now, you know, to lightning. I mean, it's you know, especially if you're running on lightning node, I mean, you know, you can't it's uncomparable the kind of privacy you get for free just by using lightning. Like as exactly. is in the worst possible sort of like solution out there, unless you're using like a custodial sort of like KYC lightning solution. Right. right? But you still get more privacy. It's just that they know your stuff, but the other side doesn't know. 100%. Your stuff. It's information asymmetry. Exactly. Yes. It's not on chain forever, but now specifically your wallet of Satoshi knows exactly those details. That's right. It's like a fundamentally different uh, privacy question, right? Like on chain, it's like everyone can see the ledger. How do you hide yourself in plain sight? Lightning is like only your peers that you touch along the channel have any access at all to your transaction, right? So like if those peers are the government, okay, yeah, they're going to be able to track you. Um, but like at its current state, the, I, I mean – Knock on wood. <laughs> the government's not running a lot of lightning nodes, right? Um, well, so I, I think the concern, I mean, I agree with, with all that, you know, the, the history and everything. But if there are big aggregators on the network already collecting this information, you know, forever and then, yeah, selling it to third parties, um, then like that, you know, you could you, you could say that doesn't last forever. But I mean, it lasts as long as that company is, you know, lasts or that organization lasts. So, you know, I wouldn't say like, you know, we're we're safe yet. I mean, there are chain analysis companies uh, looking at Lightning. But personally, just I would say, just assume it's being captured. I it mean, is. like that, that's yeah. the best way of looking at this. But even then, I mean, like the privacy leaking graph is still pretty shallow, right? It's not like on chain stuff. Like you still have like a much better. 
privacy set, let's put it this way, on Lightning, right? I mean, if I am using my, you know, my Breeze or my Phoenix wallets, which is like, you know, just kind of like not fully custodial, but also not like your own node. It's kind of like in the middle there. And I'm paying for beer at the at the Bitcoin park, right? And they're using their whatever, like BTC pay server there. You know, unless somebody's really, really trying to get me, the chances of anybody seeing that that's what happened are pretty are much lower than if I was using on-chain transactions, right? I don't know if it's much lower, but I'd say it's lower. And uh, there, there's definitely aggregators, like Tony was saying, and that's always been the concern. I remember when Ellen Big showed up, everyone was like, oh, these guys are the feds <laughs> or they're some other agency. But, you know... Um, you just kind of you're happy to get that inbound liquidity at the end of the day. I actually want to go higher level and just get our principles first, uh, fundamentals established for the Lightning Network, the challenges for the privacy. Uh, I think I've heard T-Bast and Tony explain it uh, for those who haven't list or haven't checked out their contributions. You should definitely check it out. T-Bast has an amazing chapter in the Mastering Lightning book which I re recommend nonstop. And then Tony uh, just sprung onto the scene, I think in 2021 with a massive privacy article uh, describing issues with uh, payment hashes, uh, hash correlation along paths. So, so from a high level approach, uh, T-Bass, can you explain how, um, I guess, is it Bolt 1 or something, the init messages with Noise XK, basically how, the sender is always unknown and the receiver used to be known and the challenges with that in regards to unannounced channels, which were mistakenly called private channels back in the day. Okay, so I'm not sure I'm going to be exactly answering your question, but I think it will encompass what, you, what you'd like. Our goal with Lightning, once you, have, you are inside Lightning and sending Lightning payments, our goal is that any node that is in the route can only infer who the previous node was and who the next node was and nothing more than that because that's, that's something we cannot avoid. That's how they receive a message from someone so they know that it came from that direction and they're sending a message to someone so they know it's going that other direction. But we want to remove anything else they could use to, to track you. So right now, we're using the same payment hash across the whole route, which is an issue. PTLCs will fix that. That, that, that also means that the sender, for example, should not be able to infer who the recipient is based on only uh, only potentially an invoice. The issue right now is that in the Bolt 11 invoice, that doesn't when it doesn't yet support SCID aliases, is that you are leaking your both your node ID, which you don't actually really have to, but it's a bit inconvenient to hide it uh, with Bolt 11 currently, and exactly the channels that tell people how to reach you and who, who you are connected to. So th this part is more about the intersection between Lightning and Unchain. And that's where there's, we really need to distinguish the privacy challenges once you are purely off-chain and the privacy challenges when intersecting between Unchain and off-chain. Because the way we fix each of those are really different. They are completely orthogonal and operating at different layers of the stack and require very different solutions. And to be honest, I think that we have good ideas on how to somewhat easily fix at the protocol level, almost everything that happens once you are in Lightning and sending payments. It's much harder to find 
changes that are only at the protocol level and that will fix the potential privacy leaks when you are doing on-chain to off-chain stuff. So does that answer what you wanted or is there still something that I missed? No, that's pretty good. Uh, I, I just mainly wanted to touch on exactly what you said, the how we're kind of piggybacking off of all the on-chain activity uh, with the SCIDs. And uh, maybe I can ask Tony about, uh, you know, the alias change that happened for zero conf and maybe some goodness there. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was huge. Um, I know my article, um, upbytesjourney.com slash lightning privacy. I can put it in the show notes. I wrote that in like 2011 and I get asked every now and then. 2021. Or sorry, 20, <laughs> 2021. Yeah. Uh, Writing lightning security papers uh, in 2011. <laughs> yeah. I wrote that and like, you know, people sometimes ask me, okay, well, it's 2023 now. Can we get an update? I'm like, yeah, nothing changed except <laughs> for SCID aliases. So the aspect of trying to de-link the on-chain UTXO that was used in the invoice, um, you know, and TBAS described that earlier, like that, that's huge. Other than that, yes, we will get route blinding soon, like really soon. I'm super pumped for that. Um, yeah, there's still challenges to be made, but you know. Uh, but besides that, like nothing's really changed in the last few years. Um, I will say though, on the okay sender privacy side, you know, it's it's not always going to be as easy as senders have good privacy um, all the time. It's it, there's edge cases where that breaks down, and I think it's important to kind of express when it breaks down, and it really breaks down when two users are sharing the same LSP, like two mobile users sharing the same LSP. Um, if they both have, you know, unannounced channels with the LSP, there's no multiple hops that it's going through. It's basically sender, LSP, receiver, and no one could have made that, no one could have gone through those hops besides the sender to the receiver. So the LSP does see that. With PTLCs, that changes though, because with PTLC, the sender can force the payment to go outside before coming back to the LSP and getting to the final destination. Right. And that's even something that the recipient can do. By if, when they're using a blinded path, they can force the blinded path to start at another point than their LSP to make sure that even if someone is using the same LSP, they're first kind of going out of that whole garden and then coming back in, which when you are using the same payment hash doesn't do anything. But when you are using PTLCs, could be useful, even though you could still correlate with timing, amounts, CLTV, yeah. only works when you have enough uh, enough volume, when you start fuzzing those amounts, which which is hard to evaluate how much it does work. But I think there are ways to make it better, to at least make it not completely terrible. TBS, would you say then that like for that scenario, the LSP wouldn't be the introduction point on the blinded route? And, and if so, how would a mobile user choose uh, a different introductory point? Either the mobile user just syncs a local neighborhood, for example, every node that is two hops away from them. If they're only connected to one LSP, they cannot just sync it from that LSP if they don't trust that LSP because the LSP would just filter out anything else, everything else. But if they are connecting to a few LSPs, they could just sync their local neighborhood and make sure that they make payment bounce between LSPs because in your blinded path, you can force a payment to bounce from one LSP to the other if you're using PTLCs from a list of LSPs. Or you can just even assume that without even knowledge of a graph, you can assume that some big nodes have good connectivity 
and ben kind of benefit from their user base. If I'm a Phoenix user, but I make all my blend, my payments go through the Breeze node, people will potentially assume that I'm a Breeze user, while I'm not, while I'm not. Maybe they will assume that I'm, I'm a Phoenix user that is doing that trick, but maybe Breeze is doing the same thing with other nodes. This is where privacy is just evaluated in terms of uh, how big is the crowd you're hiding in and other things that could leak some of your privacy. But I think there are things that we can explore here that can make it potentially good enough once we have enough volume and, in, and a large enough number of different LSPs that offer that kind of services. With the, that mobile client then, in order to do this sort of local sync of the, the gossip, which is maybe yeah, it's preferable for a mobile user because like, gossip is, is pretty um, expensive as far as network bandwidth and downloading it all. Does that require then like a, a sort of custom implementation for the, the mobile wall to do that sort of local sync? Yeah. You know, in the LDK side, we have like this rapid gossip sync, which makes it pretty quick. And there are other ideas. In the very old trampoline PRs I had uh, like three years ago, there was a proposal to do uh, gossip filters that would be applied, that you ask your peers to apply some gossip filters so that they forward to you only a subset of the gossip that interests you so that mobile wallets can get a fraction of the gossip that they're interested in without wasting too much bandwidth. But this uh, this is still waiting for people to play with trampoline before we do something like that. And we this will have to be reevaluated re to see if it really makes sense compared to something like rapid gossip syncs or other ways of syncing subparts of the graph. But I think that there's a large design space here to do it in a lot of different ways that uh, that could help. Oh your man, privacy. it sounds like you're you're bringing bloom filters back. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, can you summarize what is Bolt Seven and gossip and this graph that we always talk about? Yeah, so this kind of actually touches on privacy a bit too. So, and others here probably could do a better explanation, but I'll try my best here. So, when you are constructing a path to make a payment, you need to know, you know, I guess the state of the network to to route that payment from the sender to the recipient. And uh, the Lightning Network protocol specifies a way to gossip, basically node announcements and channel announcements, and that allows you to kind of like the node announcements being sort of the the I guess the or the nodes of the network and and the channel announcements being the edges, and that's a I guess something that you're you're essentially doxing your UTXOs that way because that's how the channels are identified, and anyone that has access to you know the blockchain could see what your balance is. So the act of gossiping currently in in Bolt Seven is not very privacy preserving. Now I think there are some proposals out there one for zero knowledge proofs to be used for this. So you kind of say, you know, I, I have some on-chain balance. I'm not going to say how much exactly it is, but I can at least prove to you that I do. It's like a range proof kind of thing? I, I believe so. I, I don't know the exact details, honestly, but that's essentially the idea. This is uh, Rusty's idea for the ownership uh, proof or something like that? I'm not sure if it's the same. But there, there are a few proposals out there. Okay. Um, there's like Gossip one point. Five, which I yeah. believe that might be you're referring to, um, but I, I could be mistaken there. If someone else could correct me. And then there's more of a long-term gossip B2 where we want to maybe be a little more privacy preserving than that proposal would allow. I don't know if anyone else wants to jump in on that, probably a little more details. T-Bast, you wanted to, uh, to, to bring up something about the features that are sort of slow to? Yeah, just quickly. And I think it's, it's a general comment about, uh, 
how things uh, are added to Lightning nowadays. A lot of the features that we are finally shipping now have been discussed for years. Uh, a lot of them and a lot of things we are discussing, people get excited about it, but they're not going to be really shipped before years. And I, <laughs> it looks like some of the things are very slow to arrive on Lightning, but that's, that's really because we've already done, already done all the easy stuff. It was much easier to ship things faster before because they were the MVP. They were the easy things to ship. The things we are doing now are really much more complex than when we added, what we did before. And we also have a whole ecosystem that we need to move whenever we do something, a whole ecosystem that has to follow and actually use those features. So our goal, there are a lot of things that really need to be done at the protocol level and will take a long time to ship. For example, blinded paths, splicing, and the interactive transaction uh, protocol that's underneath it, liquidity ads, th that kind of stuff. But the goal is that what, what we are trying to add right now are big building blocks that can then let people build new stuff, build cool stuff without too many protocol changes. It, this really lets other people build on top things that are still quite low level. Things like, for example, maybe we'll tell, we go into it uh, afterwards, things like LN Vortex, that kind of stuff are much easier to build with the protocol changes that we are creating now. We're creating more flexibility uh, growing the design space for people who are building on top of a Lightning implementation to actually be able to do something about privacy, for example, to do something about uh, a lot of low-level aspects of uh, Lightning. Yeah, so so like, but what's like the dynamic on Bitcoin base layer? It's always been, you know, the issue is we always need backwards compatibility, but you know, realistically speaking, we have one client, right? Like for Bitcoin, there's reference client. It has nine 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 percent. Of, of market share and it kind of needs to be that way you know especially on how satoshi wrote it you know there is no spec for the protocol the the spec is the client and things are like they get complex and they break very easy if you start messing around so essentially when you want to make a big change on bitcoin right like the the main thing is like okay great is it backwards compatible is the first thing right and how can we sort of like, you know, shove it into something uh, like adapter signatures or like you always have to shove into something else, right? Because you can't change most of the things to keep backwards compatible. Now, on Lightning is different, right? You guys have the, the, the privilege of being able to break things. Now, how do you find a dynamic between the major uh, node implementations, right? And, and, and sort of like this, this idea of like, okay, we, we are ready to push this because we coded this faster, right? Like whatever is the feature. And, you know, maybe the other two implementations are busy on something else because they have different priorities. And like, how do you guys manage all this dynamic? And, and like, at, at what point do you say like, fuck it, I'm just going to ship it. <laughs> and if they want to have it, great. If they don't, then they don't get to use this feature. Like, how, how does this play out? Because, you know, I have Jeff here who does LDK which is a growing, very like fastly growing implementation and is going to have a node soon. And then we have async, right? Uh, which is a Claire. Uh, I always get confused with like all the names. And then we have, uh, unfortunately, LND is not represented here. Tony is a fair representation of <laughs> LND and LDK because of his experience okay. as an app dev. And right. then Dusty is like a stand-in CLN contributor. So there you go. that's a fair 
fair uh, representation across. So should I just give a knife to everyone and see whoever (laughs) comes out of the room gets to pick the next feature? (laughs) No, no knives. uh, Moonrakers. (laughs) There's definitely a temptation to sort of move fast like that. And and it's, you know, you you have to resist in some respects. So like for for Bolt 12, for instance, people have have wanted Bolt 12 for a long time. What I've been hearing is is a unicorn feature that one day is going to happen. One day, one day. So we're, we are really close, actually, not now. But um, no, the point I wanted to make regarding bolts, two months, maybe. <laughs> the, the point I wanted to make around that is that, you know, C Lightning or Core Lightning, I guess, um, had an implementation of Bolt 12 pretty early since uh, Rusty was the proposer of, of Bolt 12. But the spec changed quite a bit over you know the year plus it was when he first offered the proposal. And um, now where it's like, pretty much ready to uh, very close to being merged. And without feedback from other implementations, you're going to get a lot of churn later on if you, you really try to like, you know, push maybe an operability between two uh-huh. implementations early, get it out. So like, for instance, in, in Bolt 12, there was a few changes that were made. Like, so so one, there, there's a certain sequence of offer, invoice, request, invoice in Bolt 12. And the information from those that chain of messages is sort of important if you want to do stateless verification of invoices and voice requests so having that data inside of of like so say having the offer fields inside invoice requests and those fields as well inside the invoice was a change that was made that made this very easy for us to do and it allowed for you know scaling a, a node that uses bull 12. that's just one example so basically i think what you're saying and i agree with is that you you almost want to interact with the other implementators early, right? Like like last year I was working on splicing kind of all alone and I was like, hey guys, I have these ideas for the spec, any thoughts? And there was a whole lot of crickets, right? And now everybody's doing splicing <laughs> and they have opinions on how to change the spec, right? So I'm literally in the process of rewriting things for those new changes, just like Jim was talking about. Mm. So I, I don't think it's... That's when the bike shedding begins. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember listening to your talk at Bitcoin Plus Plus last year on on splicing, and and now a year later, you know, it's it's getting a lot of traction now, but there's a lot a lot of movement too. And you know, what is the final specification? So, Jeff, you know, you know, here's a, a related question, uh, a bit, let's say, a bit tangent, but so if if we already had say three node implementations, right? Why create a fourth and add one more to 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 the to the sort of like the the dynamic of getting features out, right? Because you know every time you add one more player that has enough market share, it's it adds more complication. I, I mean, I I love LDK. I'm not like that's not a, a criticism of LDK. I'm just curious what was the rationale for for that aside from just like we want to do things in a certain different way, so it's worth adding one more implementation to the market. Well, the more the merrier, right? Jeff, don't let the C programmer bully the Rust community like that. Yeah. Uh, no, it's Crust now because uh, Rust is uh, trademarked. So I'm calling it Crust. I, I think that's been resolved. But yeah. Um, so, you know, we had a different approach, right? So we saw a sort of gap in, in mobile wallet usages of Lightning. Uh, or like there are many usages that were very custodial. You know, they might be relying on servers and not having an easy path for Bitcoin wallets to add Lightning was something we saw as a gap in the ecosystem. So that was the primary reason I believe that LDK was sort of pitched in that direction, I suppose. You know, we do Rust compared to to other implementations like C and Go and, and um, 
uh, I guess the clear is is um, Scott Fellow, is it? Might be off on that. Yeah, so so Rust is a very secure language too. So so having that aspect and allowing for language bindings on top of that, so developers that are writing sort of mobile first can can work in their language of preference was uh, another you know uh, draw for LDK. Okay, I just want to say it. All notations that I'm not working on are stupid. Just kidding. <laughs> I I think I think in reality, like the implementations are they're finding their own their own niches of like things they're better at, and uh, I think that's one of the advantages of multiple implementations. And and that's just kind of uh, it's kind of good. I think everyone's sort of like as the years go by, getting more and more into their own specific niches. No, that that's fantastic because you know it's an honest question, right? Like it's like if more things, more complexity, right? Is it is it the right way? Is it the wrong way? It's a big market and people are going to want different things. So it's kind of cool to see that like the implementations are getting less fighty and more sort of like finding their own niche. Uh, so they're not sort of like so much on top of each other uh, because, you know, there's only so many customers too for now. Sorry, uh, T-Bass. From the spec point of view, I'm really happy that there's a fourth implementation because the way well, the best, the ideal thing when you start working on a new big spec feature is to have another implementation start working on it almost at the same time as you because doing it on your own means that whenever someone will come one year later, they will want to change everything, potentially for a good reason, but you're wasting a bit of time. But it, when we only had three implementations and since people have different short-term focus and everything we're doing takes a lot of time so people cannot be working on all the things at the same time, we have a better chance at finding two implementations that work on the same stuff for almost each big feature that we are working on. And I really think this helps. For example, a very simple example is Taproot, because right now Taproot is not a priority for Eclair and Core Lightning. It is a huge priority for LND. So I think they're very thankful that LDK has found time to actually really work on it, give them feedback, and make sure that they had two implementations working together on that specification because otherwise LND would have been blocked because they were the only one working on that and it's a big chunk of work and Core Lightning and Eclair thought it was more important to start with uh, things like splicing and dual funding before moving on to Taproot. So I think four implementations that are really committed to working on Lightning on uh, collaborating at the spec level is much better than three. Maybe five would be okay, <laughs> but maybe it's t- it would be too much. I don't know. I don't want to speak for LND necessarily, but having uh, Arik and Wilmer from LDK kind of pushing forward on the taproot specification, I think has been uh, you know a boom for that work, I guess. I mean, adding a new crypto primitive is a ginormous amount of work. I mean, it seems simple, but it's not. There is all the bindings, there is everything else, and, and it's all money handling code now, right? This is not just business logic. That That's, I, I mean, I can speak from our hardware well, at perspective, I mean, we just merged Taproot uh, and we, we don't we don't trust the implementation yet for money handling. So it's going to go on a second release uh, as a separate release. It's ginormous, but it does allow for a bunch of new cool shit that it can do. <laughs> now, the, the question always is like, is the, the new cool shit actually useful to the users like soon or is it just like catnip? you know, developer make work because, you know, every developer wants to work on the new cool shit. Depends on. What you mean by soon? Is soon five years? <laughs> <laughs> I'd want to say that uh, you know it's good that we have four implementations now. I think there was more of a 
stagnation or stalemate when it was three. I don't agree necessarily that there were blockers because I've seen implementations release their own features as experimental and gain adoption uh, for whatever nodes that actually do run it. But you're right, the interop missing is detrimental for the network. It almost causes an externality if they're not uh, doing something, for example, like forwarding onion messages or something, you know, things like that. And I think because there were three before, the app developers also grew frustrated. And then there's been things that bloomed out of that, such as LNURL. You know, yeah, they, yeah. they were very uh, frustrated with the the stagnation or the the disagreeability. So they kind of took things into their own. But hands. you know, in a good way, it's sort of like when when the practical people that may not have the best sort of technical solution put it out in the market starts to take often puts a fire in the ass of the people who can ship the better sort of implementation of <laughs> yes. something, right? So so like that was one of the things that I liked the most about LNURL. Like it fucking works. You know, does it leak privacy? Does it have major <laughs> issues? Absolutely, right? But it fucking works. <laughs> so, uh, and now we have LN Proxy, for example, too, right? And these things are going to keep on happening, you know, and, and pushing the the other people to sort of get going. And it also like, in a way, it helps people who are going to put the hard time, like like a lot of time on hard code, like it validates to them that the market wants the feature mm-hmm. as well, right? Because like, you know, yeah, everybody wants both 12. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, okay, great. When you ask something, like, of course, people are going to say yes, but do you know if the market actually wants the feature, right? Like the LNURL to me just proved that there is like this massive market demand for something like that. I think it's sort of like a nice, a nice indicator there. Yeah, I think the skill too is 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 being able to be, and I say this from the application developer side because this is where I really shine. But knowing when you can do things at the application level, um, and and when you shouldn't, and being you know them doing LNURL doesn't break interoperability with Lightning, right? So like this is kind of a scenario where I'm not going to use the word allowable, but it's it's. Um, it's it's incentivized to them to be able to do it, and it doesn't break anything. I think another interesting example, TBAS, you guys, I believe, had trampoline in Phoenix since, like, day one, right? So this is another scenario where, like, yes, like, Phoenix and Eclair, you know, another implementation of, of a, you know, Eclair is another implementation of Lightning Node, but them adding trampoline to their node and then to their end user's wallet, that doesn't break interoperability anywhere on the Lightning Network. That's, like, a place where you can add application specific logic and then mvk you brought up ellen proxy like this is another application where it's like okay let's let's add some privacy to lightning network and and this is kind of how we do in immune wallet or sorry mutiny wallet too with um we use the voltage lsp to hide the receiver's pub key um it just looks like it's voltage's pub key on one of their nodes um this is another case where we can add some application logic until we get the protocol features that we need to get, but it doesn't break anything else. So it's like a way to add yeah. and innovate on top. So of it. like one one super important thing that like you know you get from Bitcoin is this like extreme backwards compatibility. Like the, the the I guess like the the slightly like variation for that on Lightning is like graceful degradation, right? And I think like that's like so far it's been good that way. It seems to me that like every time I try to pay something, if that receiver or sender do not support part of the feature, somehow the wallets find a way to gracefully degradate to some other solution to resolve that payment. 
I think that's going to be super important as you have all these different implementations going forward, right? It's like, how do you still resolve the payment so the customer doesn't suffer? He may lose some privacy, may something happens, but at least like when you scan that QR, right? Like the payment still gets made. I think this is a great chance for Jeff or Dusty to touch on the, I think it's Bolt 9, uh, the okay to be odd, like the feature bit stuff. Right, like every <laughs> feature gets um, gets like, a, you get to register your number. So like your feature needs to have a feature number. So like splicing has its own one and there's evens and odds. And one of them means like it's optional and like experimental and the other one means it's, a, it's like required. But like with the feature bits, when the two lightning nodes connect to each other, they exchange a bunch of feature bits to each other. And then things that are compatible, they, they, then, they then activate those features. So th- this, that's the kind of technique that allows the reverse compatibility to happen. I don't know, do you want to talk about more, Jeff? Yeah, the, the feature bits, just to clarify, come in pairs too. So, so typically a feature will have both an even and odd bit and, and such that if you are odd, it's okay to be odd as this expression goes, then you, it's sort of an optional feature for you, where if it's even, it, it's required and, and you could... I guess if it's required, that means you probably disconnect from your, that peer if, you, if they don't support it. That's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think kind of going back to the conversation too about like application layer versus protocol layer, you know, it, it's great that we have people experimenting on top of Lightning and that allows for that. And that the, I, I guess what it does also is it kind of puts a spotlight on some of the shortcomings of Lightning and seeing, like you said, you know, people sort of building fast because they, they, they can't do something on Lightning now, but they want to do it so while there are privacy shortcomings of LMURL, um, it's, it's part of, it's a, a spotlight on you know, what we need to do to help fix that at the protocol level with um, the reference in Bolt 12, find the paths. Tony, you, you also uh, fixed something, I think, for one of your applications that you were hacking on uh, last year uh, regarding, I think, the payment descriptions, right? Because those are also shared. I think you started encouraging the practice of hashing it something like that yeah putting descriptions and memos i think uh was a bad decision for lightning they're not just putting it there requiring it requiring that field or a description hash is required and the reason that you know and at the time it was a good idea right because you want to know that when you pay an invoice that it's going to be for a specific order like you could have an order number it could have a list of the items and the in the description like i it's 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 practical for it to be there but what is ending up happening um especially when we have large custodians on the light, lightning network as more chain analysis starts aggregating more data about the invoices being collected you start to now see you start to attach the receiver's pub key to the reason for payment and that get and if that's getting shared and aggregated around um, you can now, now start correlating people with the reasons that they were paid, and that's not good, in my opinion. And there's been a boost also, it's pretty annoying, to be honest, as a user. Like, stop asking me, forcing me to put a goddamn fucking note. Like, I yeah. don't want to put a note. Like, you know, it's the same with wallets that require an amount. Like, I, I don't want to. Like, just leave me alone. You know, it's weird. Cause like, you know, I'm a, I'm a base layer boomer. <laughs> you know, I kind of feel that way. You know, when I come sometimes to lightning, it's like, there's all this weird different dynamics that like annoy me. I get that there's limitations and stuff, but it's nice to see that like people starting to see that way too. Yeah. And so when an invoice is created for mutiny, like we, we there, there is a optional tag field you can put it in there, but that's only saved internally. We, are specifically never going to create an invoice with a description. And we kind of refuse to because I think it's a privacy leak. 
that, you know, and I'm trying to out, be out here like expressing, hey, don't put descriptions in your invoices like this leaks metadata and everyone does it anyway. So I'm just going to build a wallet that doesn't do that. And <laughs> so how does Build 12 fix this? <laughs> does it not require descriptions? It doesn't require, they're in the offer, but not in the invoices. Oh, cool. Good. Nice. <laughs> Are you guys following all the, the, the zapping on Noster? Because there's a lot of very interesting things that are coming up on like, for example, like private zaps where like, I think you are essentially putting the, the Noster node inside of the Lightning comms network and it's encrypted with the Lightning transaction itself, if I remember right. I, I haven't followed that NIP too much, but so there is the, the, is the NIP 57 uh, for the zapping and sort of like being extended for more things. And now there is also the 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 lightning um like wallet connect thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, that's like super cool. I mean, like you're not gonna need to have a, a lightning wallet inside an app. You can just connect to a wallet. But it feels to the user as if you have an integrated wallet, so your app doesn't open a fucking wallet every time you wanna pay something. So like are you guys like as as people who work on the protocol and on nodes a lot like are you guys following this stuff is this on your radars how, how are you guys like sort of going about it that's probably a question for t-bass tony and maybe jeff i'd say t-bass is also extremely well-rounded because eclair ships phoenix as well as their uh you know implementation everything so it's like one comprehensive thing so he probably has great insight <laughs> Yeah, to to be honest, I haven't had time to follow everything that's happened uh, that's happening around Nuster. So, yeah, I, I I don't know to be honest. Yeah, I I've I'm very concerned about lightning usage on Nuster <laughs> for both the Zaps aspect and also the custodial integrations like Wallet Connect. You know, I, I there's there's a side of it where it's like we can be up here preaching about lightning privacy all day long. And then someone connects their node up with Amboss and shares the balance. Like, like we can't stop that on a protocol yep. level. And all we can do is educate, tell people why it's dumb, why you why you shouldn't do that, why you shouldn't use custodians. We can preach this all day long, but then someone goes and do I it. I mean, we can't say anything. Like saying won't change behavior. Offering no. tools to that fix yeah. the behavior that are easier to use will fix the problem, right? Like, and this is why I'm bringing this up because. You know, like when you actually look at like the, the transaction graph, I mean, like looks like Noster is like, what, like 70% of all the lightning transactions, at least was at the peak. Yeah, I think Ben Carmen did some research. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's 70% of all Noster zaps were Wallet of Satoshi or something like that, right, Tony? No, it was around 40 or 50%, but oh, okay. in total, 92% were custodians. Yeah, I think you have to be also very careful about custodians with this because you know there's a censorship resistant aspect, not just the privacy aspect. So if you have someone who wants to receive zaps and they're a dissident in a country, say like in Iran, um, you know there could be a problem with with um, censorship from um, I guess different regulators, and, and so you have to be very careful about the services you use. Or I mean, you could be you could be going to jail because you're sending money to a country you're not Absolutely. allowed to send money from your country. Right, yep. like they literally have laws that do that. You know, because it's all small amounts, like nobody really cares. But you know, technically, you're breaking some serious fucking laws. Uh, and and you know, if there was interest taken on this, it would be a big deal. 
Well, but then the aggregation amount too, right? Like, yeah, everyone everyone says, oh, I just put you know five five dollars worth of Bitcoin on Wallet Satoshi, but if if that you know five dollars adds up, you know, hundreds of thousands of users, then you know you start to you start to get a lot of money that could be rug pulled um, all at once or or seized. Uh, to be fair, like that's probably more what's going to happen than than anything else. Or price appreciation, right? In twenty thirty one, that you get a knock on the door. Why'd you give this Iranian twenty thousand dollars? <laughs> right, like wasn't it? Uh, a lot of the Silk Road data was collected um, and used for chain analysis data too. So it's like, yeah, this is a custodian. You know, that data wasn't on chain. You know, not all of it. But, you know, you have a seizure of servers and then now that data is basically set in stone because it was collected and is going to be and has been used to prosecute people. Mm-hmm. OK, so. So, OK, so. I, so like, is that Dusty also like the Nostra stuff is not something you're paying attention right now? I think um, Bitcoin has reached this point where there are so many uh, things happening that no one person can cope with all of it. Right. Like. I feel like just keeping up with all of everything happening in lightning yep. is like a full-time, you know, job on the side of the, my existing job. Right. Um, so the Noster stuff, like I find it very exciting that like, uh, you know, PGP never took off. Noster feels to me like a PGP replacement that is taking off. And I'm excited that's happening. I, I have one. Oh my God. I, I'm, I'm guilty of this. My, my Noster account is a, is a custodial, custodial connected app. Um, but like, for me, I'm just looking at it. I just want to see it. You know, I'm not putting any real money on there. I'm just sort of like checking it out. But I think Tony is absolutely right. The way we solve this problem, or what was MBK that said it, the way we solve this problem is we need to make the self-custody solutions as close to as easy as the custodial ones as possible, right? We got to remove the barriers, make it easy to do it correctly. And then we can evangelize doing it correctly to people and like actually have that, that, uh, that movement get some teeth. Yeah, it's, it's important just to provide that option. People will use custodial services, but they need to have the opportunity to self-custody. Well, I, I mean, being very realistic, uh, I mean, like Lightning doesn't scale past a certain amount too, right? So base layer takes us from like, you know, having cuck money, right? <laughs> having a central bank to not having a central bank, right? Like, and, and, you know, like it's more akin to Fedwire. Hey, great. We can now send each other a million dollars for like reasonable fees and nobody can stop us. Right now we can't buy coffee on base layer as people are, I don't know, somehow people are surprised that the fees are going to be high, you know, like sure. It's the degen right now who are clogging up the pipes, but like soon it's going to be just the population of the world. Right. And lightning is like fully dependent on, on base layer. Right. So there is also a, a scaling limit to lightning as is. I mean, you know, maybe you guys can educate me on like very cool things on how we can do things better and more scalable. But uh, lightning, yeah, <laughs> we're going to get there. So so like, but, you know, like lightning as is right. Like, you know, it doesn't scale to a billion people like you cannot do, you know, like a billion payment channels like right now. You just can't. So and the world has eight billion people. <laughs> so like, you know, th- there is a scale here that that we're going to slowly get into. So it sounds like uh, splicing has both like this amazing privacy aspects to it. And then it has very cool scaling things, too, and also in- incredible like uh, economic advances, too. So who wants to explain splicing? <laughs> I, I, I could try. Uh, I think like 
it's it's just like you said. There's like three different things there. It's a whole complex rabbit hole. But simply put, it, it's it's the ability to uh, resize lighting channels without without closing them. But what's become apparent over time is it unlocks a whole lot of things. What you're doing is you're essentially creating fungibility from on-chain Bitcoin to Lightning, um, which which changes the entire game. Like at first you're like, ah, oh, just resizing channels, whatever. But then literally everything changes about it, including there are some theoretical concepts now about changing how coin joins work to integrate splicing and perhaps make those better, get some like stenographic techniques going. Uh, so like literally everything's changing. Um, there's sort of like a laundry list and depending on like which part you want to talk about first, we can go into the individual one. So uh, first question is uh, how long do we ships? <laughs> Two weeks. Uh, <laughs> Before we get into this two weeks. <laughs> well, well, Dusty shipped yeah. it for himself, right? I don't know if he's revealed like any of the script, but I, he did point to a mainnet transaction. And I believe T-Bast also has done that. <laughs> and we are, we are actually going to ship it in at least n- not the final spec version. And it's a simplified one because in Phoenix, since we don't have public channels, it's, uh, it makes it simpler. It removes the aspect of the gossip part. But we are going to ship a prototype version of placing in Phoenix on mainnet real soon in the next few months so that we can get real world data about the issues with that, feed that back into the spec and put the finalizing touch on so the spec so we can merge it. You heard here first <laughs> one hour in into the show that we're going to get splicing this year. If I could just add. Go ahead, Desi. Let's let's explore the, the three major aspects of yes, it. Yes, let's plant my flag. I, I did the first splice on chain last year in like May. And I finished my specification around October. Uh, but like things in Lightning aren't normally considered done until two implementations do it, sort of like the way that things do it. Call it interop. And so I'm working on interop with TDAS. And once we get two implementations that have it done, then it's officially like, you know, considered launched or whatever. <laughs> I, I wanna I wanna take a quick tangent about like how proud I am to nerd snipe Dusty via Nifty who like onboarded him to CLN to do this specific thing. Poor guy has been banging his head for splicing since CLN had only <laughs> one channel per peer. So he's adjusted it multiple times and then now is working on interop. Uh Thank kudos you, man. man. You really like you've stuck to it. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, like uh, uh, sadomasochism is known uh, also as core uh, developers of Bitcoin or Lightning. Like anybody who's a protocol developer really likes pain uh, and rebasing. It's uh, it's a thing. I mean, like some people like pain, you know, like, uh, you know, I'm not judging here. So anyways, so let's explore scalability first, because, you know, without that, like privacy and everything else kind of like, who cares, right? I mean, are we scaling here? Are we reaching capacity to really onboard the next billion people? I think splicing uh, gets us gets us closer, <laughs> but it's not it's not the slam dunk that's going to be like, yay, now we get only a billion. But, you know, maybe today we get a billion, so we only need to 8x, right? Just put one trick out of our hat to get 8x that, and we're good forever, right? The population will never grow. So... <laughs> 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 it gets you is that you get you now get to have to use only one UTXO per user, and you just update that UTXO. But right now we need multiple UTXOs per users. With placing, you only need one, but it's still one UTXO per user, so it's not going to scale to eight billion users. We still need to add sharing that UTXO between users on top of that, and that's something we don't know how to do yet. So tell me what we know now. Like what what can we do now, and how the splicing works with a single UTXO? Yeah, the, the, this part is really simple. Right, right now, that means you have a lot of channels. 
whenever you have one channel in your mobile wallet, whenever you want to, whenever you would have wanted to open a new channel, you just instead update your existing channel. So you're basically spending that UTXO, creating another UTXO for that channel. So you're still sticking to one UTXO per user. You have to make on-chain transactions, but at least you only use one UTXO per user. And for pairs of nodes or routing nodes, you basically need only one or a few UTXOs per pair of nodes because you, you may still want to have multiple channels with peers you are relaying a lot of payments to because channels are still limited in the number of payments that can be pending. You may want to have one public channel and unannounced channels on top of that to hide some of your balance. There are reasons to keep multiple channels between pairs of users, pairs of nodes, but you're going to need fewer of them than today. Today, you end up having too many channels with those peers because you don't, you don't want to close them and then make another transaction to open a new one because it costs you two transactions. Whereas with pricing, updating a channel costs only one transaction and you can also batch it with other things that you want it to do to make it more efficient. Yeah, I think the, the, the block space argument there is what TBS was getting at too, what we see today with, with high fees. If you have to close a channel, then reopen it, you know, that's going to cost you know, basically twice as much. So splicing is, is going to help you know, with that. And the beauty of all of this is the lightning node itself experiences no downtime, right? You can still be paying each other for all the nodes that understand uh, the new form of gossip, but even like the old form of gossip, I guess, like they'll see it as like that SEID, uh, the original one closed and there's a new one, right? Yeah. I think the, the way to think of it is like when you want to use lightning, you have to basically plant your, your stake or your flag on the blockchain. And there's only so much space in the blockchain. And splicing, like, legitimately, like, you know, can double or triple our capacity by reducing the blockchain usage by, by that much, or potentially even more, right? It's kind of hard to know exactly the number. So we've, like, we, we just, like, tripled the capacity of Lightning, right? All we need is, like, a couple more triplings, and we can get a million people, right? I, obviously, I think the next, as we go down, we're getting to harder and harder things. How do we actually triple it again is going to be a lot harder than splicing was. And then the next thing we try to triple it's going to be, uh, impossibly difficult, but th I think like if we can get some some if some changes do come through on the core layer, there are some really interesting stuff that can be done, and we're kind of inching closer to to maybe the world scalable. But I don't know what the future is going to hold. We'll see. So, what changes to Bitcoin Core do you need? APO. Let's just uh, put them all out here because then uh, people will definitely make the changes. APO is a big one. A signature input aggregation would be uh, another big one. I'm trying to think. The the mempool stuff would be awesome to see fixed. We're wasting a lot of block space, package relay. Package relay. We're wasting a lot of space with these anchors. That could all yeah. go away with, with those. Those are the three that come to mind. You guys got any other core projects you guys are favoring? Well, some of the uh, transaction V3 stuff to kind of help package against relay, yeah. attacks on yeah. Lightning. Yeah. In the short term, I would really like to see package relay and uh, ephemeral anchors because that's something that uh, that's only a policy change. So it in theory, package relay shouldn't be hard to change. It's, it's it's not consensus. Yeah, so it should be easier to change. It's it's actually people are working on that. It's making progress, but it, like everything, it takes time because you want to make sure you don't create new dust issues and you really fix the problems you are trying to fix. But this would have been had a huge impact on Lightning, especially nowadays with the high fee situation. Because once we have that, we can actually make the commitment transactions pay zero fees and only pay fees by doing CPFP, which means that when you are touching the chain, you see exactly why you are. You have to pay fees and you can choose that fee rate. But then once you're in Lightning, you are completely decorrelated from on-chain fees. Whereas nowadays, this is not the case because since the commitment transaction 
needs to pay a fee that has to be able to at least enter the mempool. Whenever you add HLCs to a channel, you have to take into account the fact that you are the commitment transaction is getting bigger, so it has to pay more fees. So potentially you're restricting how much the user can use from its channel balance, which is really annoying and impossible to understand for users and impossible to explain to normal users. So that's something we've always wanted to get rid of. We know the fix, it's easy. We just make the commit transaction pay zero fees, but it needs that package relay and ephemeral anchors change in the Bitcoin uh, policy logic. So I mean, technically you could just fork and start doing that. I mean, like, you know, it's just a policy. Like, it's not really that big of a deal. I think we're going to actually start seeing a lot more of uh, standardness and other things starting to change. I think we're going now towards a direction where we're going to see more balkanization on core non-consensus rules. Fortunately, people like the the non-4RBF people probably just learn now that why you need 4RBF because the fees are high. But... You know, it goes both ways, right? You're going to find also reasons why, like, you know, Core wanting to sort of keep something tidy in a certain way, like it's not acceptable by the rest of the network. Again, if it's not consensus, you can do whatever the fuck you want if you're a node. So here's a question. How does it leverage APO, like the, the, the change you were mentioning? Oh, APO is so exciting. Well, I mean, the big thing about APO is that the Lightning database is going to go way smaller, which isn't necessarily an on-chain thing, but... Uh, like currently, whenever you do a Lightning transaction, what we're really doing behind the scenes is we're making a whole bunch of Bitcoin transactions that we sign and just never actually publish. And so there's like we end up with this, if you do like, you know, thousands of payments, each one of those payments is a whole collection of transactions we made to go along with that. You end up with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of Bitcoin, unpublished Bitcoin transactions. And with APO, like all of that kind of goes away. Uh, the big thing is because when you chain multiple transactions together, like I published this transaction with spends into this transaction with that one, ABC, uh, all, all kind of child of each other, they have to be signed referencing who their parent is, right? And APO allows us to separate that bond, be like, this child transaction, it, it, we can sign it for any parent at, at all. And that, that just makes, it makes Lightning just so much better in general. But it also makes things like wash showers a lot better. It just it just fixes the the entire like everything basically. And to me, I don't think it's a I don't think it's not a controversial change, which is maybe why it's not getting a lot of attention. It's just there's nothing wrong with it. It's sort of an obvious like next step improvement for Bitcoin. To, in my eyes, I haven't seen a good critique of it. <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah, I, I was just about to say like what what Dusty's referring to is is Ellen Symmetry, previously known as. L2 and it has a channel factory benefits and things of that nature. Uh, I do disagree that APO softwork is not controversial. I think it's actually any softwork by definition (laughs) is extremely controversial, but uh, nevertheless, it it is very exciting to see if it does come to fruition because it's been in the works for a very long time as in other names as SIG hash, no input, many other things like that. So, I, I don't know. We'll see where that ends up, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I'm partial to CTV and Opvault sort of path there because I really want to see that stuff happen. I think you can do some of that stuff with uh, CTV instead of APO. You cannot. You need another software for a check yes, stick from Stack. That's right. So it gets very hairy about like who wants which soft fork for which purpose because the covenants. Yeah. Oh, dude, it's gonna be like first. It's gonna be very hard to get any soft fork done in the next few years. Like realistically speaking, we can't even agree on how to activate it, which is even more contentious than the actual content. Yeah, when, and when we build on those, uh, L two is the name I was familiar with. Is there a new name for L two right now? 
Yeah, I believe Insta Gibbs has taken the mantle, and uh, he ca- he's calling it oh. LN Symmetry now. Okay, are there changes to the original L2 because of that, or, or is it just a rebranding? I think uh, there are some changes. Uh, he's just kind of putting it all together uh, with the new package relay stuff and ephemeral anchors, all the uh, new okay. innovations recent to Bitcoin. I think he's taken a lot of Anthony Towns' feedbacks and uh, previous like Christian Decker's work and He's like put it all together in one comprehensive thing. There's a gotcha. Chain Code Labs podcast episode where he discusses oh, nice. it in deeper detail. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. Um, you know, as we we add you know new su- or guess support at the base layer for these these sort of uh, enhancements to Lightning, new challenges are going to arise, of course. So like with with L2, uh, um, for what I remember, there was you know it's a different punishing yeah or symmetry right. So there 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 is a there'd be a different punishment mechanism is exactly. And so there's, you know, issues around that. Um, and then I think channel factories were, were mentioned at, at one point and, and how that is practically managed, I think is probably a, you know, I'm and I'm pretty sure Burak is going to be the only person who tests it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what an amazing event that was the fact that like uh, nobody had tested. <laughs> Classic. But it also shows how many, uh, like not a lot of adversarial work being done, right? Like, I mean, practical for real, like there is no real adversaries right now trying to break it and trying to steal that money, right? That, that's why we have people like Gleb, Antoine, Tony, Paul, and Ben, Cl- Clara. <laughs> yeah, we, we I, need- I wouldn't say that there's nobody testing. I think that's very unfair. I think <laughs> I think the, the, the protocol process of like two implementations, I think that weeds out a lot of issues from a bug standpoint to multiple brains looking at it standpoint um, in depth. But also, I mean, there are people trying to break things actively all the time. They don't catch anything uh, or they don't catch everything all the time. In fact, you could say like, I mean, there's what, like um, over a hundred million dollars worth of Bitcoin on Lightning currently. I mean, that's a big bounty. Like I'm, I know there are people attacking Lightning. I've done my fair share. Um, I think uh, we got to talk about that for yeah. sure. How you, yeah. uh, you know, you, uh, what's it called? You probed all of T Bass private channels. Yeah. Well, you the biggest note. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Then there are attacks, but uh, there's a lot of attacks that are just privacy level because the security level is pretty good and has been tested and is being tested. But yeah, going back to that, like, uh, if you go to hiddenlightningnetwork.com, uh, there's a list of, I think, almost 10,000 different uh, private channels that I probed out um, and found like the original UTXO for it and like which which node it is that opened that private channel. And you know, most of those 10,000 are from the Eclair node specifically. So you know, I was just trying to guess, like, okay, hmm, you know, let's let's see how many private channels there are. This probably correlates to how many users of of uh, Phoenix there might be, and so I went out and and did some probing and found that out. But um, but that's being fixed. You know, store channel ID alias. I'm not going to say that I pushed for more SCID alias adoption by attacking it, but you know, uh, it was already being worked on. Um, just sort of finally happened, and now I can't now I can't do that anymore, and I stopped probing. So um, that's just like one scenario where uh, you know I like I like attacking. I like. I like looking in depth on things. I think uh, channel jamming is the one I think people are, there's a lot of really intelligent people working on channel jamming solutions right now. And they're all kind of at the point where like, if we want to rush this, and if we want to rush adoption and and get some more eyes on this and stress the priority of this, we could channel jam the network if we wanted to. 
we know how, um, but we're not going to. It's like the ethical, it's an ethical way to go about it. Um, they're very well capable of doing it. You know, the Claire and Antoine, especially on the channel jamming research, but you know, it's, it's one of those cases where like, just you know, do it guys, just, just do it. It's the only way to get the devs to move their ass on it. Yeah. Barack, if you're listening, don't, <laughs> don't listen to him. <laughs> hey Barack, I'll, I'll buy you a beer. If you jam the entire uh, lightning network. See, like probing is one thing, but like jamming, like there's, there's actual damages that come across from that. So that's, I think the ethical dilemma there. Yeah, and, and Tony, just to plug, I, I think you uh, had used LDK to to implement your probing tool. So. Yeah, that was my first LDK project. It took I, I, did, I, I did the proof of concept in L&D in one hour, and then it took many months to to do my first LDK project and, and do that <laughs> jamming. But and then and then from there, I built LNsploit, which is based on LDK. And it's the whole concept of attacking the Lightning Network. Uh, that was when, uh, right after Barack released that vulnerability that broke all LMD nodes, I reproduced it inside Alan's point. Uh, me, Ben Carmen, hacked on that a little bit. And then we demonstrated it at TabConf on RegTest, where we actually went through, used Alan's point to like broadcast the bad transactions, break an LMD node, and to, sweep, uh, you know, and to do a forced closure on a previous state. Um, and we did that all with LDK. And like that's something that would have been that's something that would have been very hard or almost impossible for me to have figured out how to do with LND or other implementations. And that's just like a kudos to LDK and the customized, uh, the customizability you can do with that. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, I'm on my like fourth or fifth LDK project now. It's a lot easier. So <laughs> appreciate all the efforts there. So that was another fascinating thing to me, uh, you know, just naturally being at Blockstream previously, I approached things more from the spec angle. So I had a great time always chatting with Tony because he's approaching things from uh, the app dev angle, more from like a routing node operator. So, you know, Tony, can you touch on like some of those shadow channel theses you had, like uh, basically how people had their private channel and their public channel and the public channel shows a certain amount, but the private channel is the one with the actual depth. And then when you try to probe, it automatically leaches onto like the public one. Like you knew all the works. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if there is, there is an actual term for, I've just been calling them shadow channels. Um, the idea of having one smaller public channel, um, and that's what people see on the graph. And then you have bigger channels behind that. And those are, those are all private channels. And, you know, one of the things that would have helped, um, is some of the SCID alias stuff, which is, you know, I've been fixed anyway. So, you know, that's not, that doesn't help that one as much anymore, but from a, from a balance probing angle, it makes it a lot more difficult to do accurate balance probing if you have if your you, your actual depth of how much you could route is um, not only hidden behind that public channel, but also uh, you can't hit the limits. You can't go above the limits of the channel itself in a single payment. So you may have just like a one million sat channel that's public, and you have like a ten million sat channel underneath it. No one can actually balance probe that whole 10 million. They can only really guess what side one, you know, one million uh, of that channel is on either side. So I think, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've even thought about that concept. So you, know, you guys correct me if I'm wrong there, but the whole idea is about obfuscating how much funds you actually have on your lightning node, uh, but then also going further and obfuscating how much funds you actually have on, on a particular channel too. Yeah, the I guess there's probably publications for probing then. So if a 
the node is relying on any sort of probing uh, to determine, you know, if their payment could be made through that channel. If they're if they're probing through, the, I guess the the public channel that's smaller, they might have like a incorrect a sort of assumption of of what your balance may be, and, and thus may avoid your channel entirely. If you're a routing device, but if you're a recipient, then you 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 would definitely need to at least. Well, like I said, if you're a recipient, you might just use a, a routing hint for that. It won't be perfect. Cool. Yeah, you're exactly right. You just prove that you could route a payment, which before that would imply, okay, there's this much balance, at least on this side. And that's still the case here, but by reason of subtraction, you can't do that anymore now if you have shadow channels, you know, multiple private channels underneath the public channel. So that kind of, you can't do the same subtraction method you could before. Yeah, there's like this give and take between reliability and privacy. Going back to splicing, we kind of only started exploring it. So we get the benefits of scalability, right? Because we're making the transaction smaller. What are the benefits and how do the privacy benefits work of splicing? So like they're, the the privacy benefits mostly all just go on chain, right? I think like when a couple other lightning features come together, you're going to get this crazy level of privacy when you have like a, a sorry, private channel, not unannounced channel, whatever it's called. <laughs> we're not calling it private anymore. If you combine that with uh, taproot outputs, you get to some crazy stuff where with Taproot, the Lightning channels look on chain like any other payment. And, and once you get to the, the place where Lightning channels look like any other payment, you can start doing things where uh, Adam Gibson has this awesome video that he recorded talking to down in BTC++ Mexico, talking about how you can use splicing to deal with toxic change. And, and you can eliminate like all of the change problems with coin joins. So Essentially, because you can just dump your change into a channel, it enables this crazy stuff. And it's all theoretical, but if, I, if anybody's got to work on it, it's Adam Gibson, right? So I think he's trying to encourage others to sort of like take the take the baton with that. But I think the core thing to think about with privacy is is, is uh, coin joins changing, one, to not need uh, change. But then two, um, one thing that happens with coin joins is you have to have a coordinator. So this is somebody like a – usually like a company – um, that you go register with them and say, hey, I want to go coin join. And that's that's like a huge honeypot, right? There's a company that's controlling it. That's kind of a problem. And one of the things we're getting with splicing is using lightning nodes themselves as the coordinator of these coin join-like things. So um, you can do a combined multi-person transaction with you and your peer, but your peer can also do with their peer, and their peer can do with their peer. Um, and you only, just like lightning, you only know about the two peers next to you. It could be any could be any number of peers down the road, and all of their splicing activity plus any on-chain activity they want to bundle in could be put into one single transaction. And this is all being done without a central coordinator, which I think I think is quite a big deal for for the uh, privacy on-chain. Anyone else want to add anything to that? Is the uh, Tony is this uh, part of the mutinies sort of like solution? Well, not immediately, but it is something that um, we even written about um, lightningprivacy.com. We, me, Ben Carmen, Paul Miller, a few other people, uh, Evan Kalutis, we worked on this. And we actually, yeah, both T-Bass and Dusty came and, you know, presented some of their concepts to, to our like research group while we were going through it. And this is like one of the biggest things that we're interested in the most when we, when we actually get uh, splicing and we can use it um, is the concept of being able to do coin joins um, from splicing rounds, I mean, not just for the privacy standpoint, but like also a scalability standpoint too. I mean, I think some of the free rate stuff kind of shows that, you know, we we sort of need collaborative transactions to be able to help scale 
Bitcoin on-chain usage even more. And, and part of that is even channel open channel opens. So being able to do coin join in channel opens, um, dealing with, you know, the toxic change, not having that privacy leak. You know, that's some of the things that we're kind of wanting to build into LN Vortex, which is something Ben Carmen started on specifically to do coin joins on Lightning. I think splicing really changes the game from what we can do because also it's like zero downtime too. So you can say if you can add coin join liquidity onto the Lightning Network, you're still able to route and collect yield off of your routing fees. You now just basically created a way to coin join and make fees at the same time. That's huge. Let's go. So like, here's the thing, right? So for example, join market, unfortunately, like kind of like it has volume that kind of comes and goes, but it's not dissimilar to what you're describing, right? I mean, you have a market maker in your case will be the liquidity provider probably. And, uh, and then you have people who you know, are just the takers there. And for some weird reason, I mean, it might, it could be the UI problem, right? That joy markets doesn't have like a, a very dumbed down UI. Uh, and then there is also, of course, the, <laughs> the privacy Bitcoin drama and, you know, all the, the stuff around <laughs> it that, that makes it trickier. But in my view, having essentially like a mixing markets, right? It's a much more elegant and much better privacy solution, right? Because you don't have a central coordinator who, who may or may not have extra visibility and also has the wrong incentives, really, because their incentive is to collect fees, right? So anyways, like this to me seems to be going in the right direction. And, and it feels like you'll be kind of like just integrated into things because why wouldn't it? And it also, like the last point on that, like um, the fees collected, they're not even necessarily the fees from the coin join and the quitting yeah. service itself because you're just being a routing node collecting fees. You're just participating in zero downtime splices with collaboratively with other people as well. So it's like both a privacy enhancer, but the, 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 it's almost like you're doing, you have two different business models almost, um, but like, you know, you're still routing off of fees. So it doesn't provide perverse incentives like you kind of described with being the coordinator and collecting fees and you know controlling all of that um you're 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 just doing one thing over here collecting fees from it but you're able to participate in another system as well i think um one of the big things that separates splicing from the some existing coin stuff is um you have to pay money to do coin joints if you're doing splicing you're literally saving money it's cheaper to join the splice <laughs> <laughs> to your own transaction. And I think what that means is it's going to encourage a lot of people that want to do something on chain to be like, you know what? I don't need this today. I could wait a week, put it in a queue, wait for someone else to start a splice, someone to make that market, and then just automatically join it. And, and I think if you look in the long run, this should create a lot more sustainable activity in the, the, the splice network compared to something like, I don't know, join market, you know? Yeah. Could you, like, expanding on this, like, could we do a, a a pay join, for example, also with something like this, because I don't know, like, I can't see why you wouldn't be able to just like do the pay join and, and get even one more privacy set. A hundred percent. Yeah. You can put whatever you want in these things and pay joins are, are a great idea that I think uh, it'd be, I think like I've been, I've been toying around with some proposals of like how we can get wallets to uh, integrate with pay join splicing compatible protocols. Right. Cause the challenge, like it's totally doable. There's nothing stopping it from happening other than just basically evangelizing to, to wallets to do it and probably getting them on, on like a specs, they're all doing it the same way kind of thing. But that's probably the future. Yeah, because like the, the problem with pay join is that like it requires like coordination and 
And Bitcoin, one of the most beautiful things about like base layer Bitcoin is that it doesn't have to be interactive, right? Somebody posts a Bitcoin address, an invoice, right? You pay that. You don't need to be online at the same time. You don't need to talk. You don't need anything. Like you're like essentially completely like can leave go your own separate ways. But because Lightning is interactive, you're already having that like trade-off, right? Of having to be online and talking to each other. Well, then might as well talk about a few other things, right? Like, hey, is this your heavy conversation? You know, do you also want to exchange some UTXOs? I got a hot one here for you. You know, like, and you can add a, like quite a few more things there. It's like, why not? So like- Yeah, you're not crying <laughs> about the interactivity about three rounds going to two rounds when you're having like 20 hops. <laughs> That's right, right? So I don't know, like, it really feels natural, right? Like to do these things with Lightning and and payments are like one of the most privacy needed parts of the whole money experience, right? Like, you know, maybe you find some privacy on your savings, right? Where you're stocking your Bitcoin. We can argue about how that could be done and, you know, how much privacy you need on that and all that stuff. But, but then like at the payment side, when you're spending it, Right. Like really is the part where most people get doxxed and because you're now having to interact with a second with a, a secondary party. Right. A third party there. And uh, I don't know, like this, this feels perfect. I mean, I can finally buy a latte. And nobody's going to know about it. I guess like the hacky way people are doing that today would probably be with like Keysense and Amp, right, Tony? That's probably like the closest tool that people are using. Uh, for, for what specifically? Just buying coffees on lightning, like, uh, with privacy or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, just a normal, just a nor- normal invoice would, would work there. Would I suffice. mean, yeah, I don't think people key send for actual payments. I think that's mostly for donations as, as the selling point, like, you know, value for value stuff. Yeah. Not even Nostra uses a key send based approach. Yeah. I haven't thought, I haven't thought about key send in a while, to be honest. <laughs> Whenever I buy a coffee, I always pay ten dollars in on-chain fees alongside of it. <laughs> That's right. I just, I just use cash. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> Dusty, I need to give you some of uh, our Sats cards. You know, they're perfect for this use case. <laughs> you put ten dollars oh, on here. Oh. It's also off-chain scalings. We're doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we it. do it mountain man style, right? Like, <laughs> here's private key. Take private key. you know like (laughs) you guys are doing all this complicated shit you know like some crazy interactive cryptography like here's the private key just fucking take it (laughs) so so for like all of this privacy benefits it sounds fantastic to me how is the transition to it on a heuristic change approach uh you know we're switching into taproot outputs on chain the non-sets are slightly shifting because of the UTXO set, uh, I guess Taproot is in more usage because of the BRC20 DGENs too. Like we're in an odd place now. <laughs> How do you guys feel about it? What's going on with the heuristics? Oh man, splicing is more important than ever with all the spam going on, right? Like I think, I think- They're valid shitcoin transactions. <laughs> <laughs> there is no such thing as spam in Bitcoin. I will repeat this 50 times. If it's a valid transaction, it's a valid transaction. But I feel like it's a weird, it's a weird match for for splicing, where it's like I think people are paying more attention to splicing now because of all the um, uh, legitimate 
on-chain activity. <laughs> Degen complete retard activity, sure, right. but it's still valid transactions. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, but uh, it's kind of funny that like, the bedfellow of getting getting spice and getting more attention is is these um, these Degens <laughs> doing whatever they're doing on chain. Which you know, I, the more I look into it, the more I'm like, what am I looking at? I'm wasting my time just trying to understand this at all. But um, Splicing like really does increase on-chain efficiency, and I think if you just go back like six months ago, that was like, oh, theoretically that matters. Now it's like, oh shit, I should have been thinking about this a long time ago. And, and hopefully that kind of like wakes people up a little bit and gets them uh, gets them geared towards the future. Yeah, I mean, like you know, it's kind of weird that like people are. I, I mean, I get why people are triggered by all this shit because it's all shit. But at the same time, it's like, what? Do people expect when like Bitcoin has a real amount of users coming in? Like, you, you know, you think the fees are going to be like, you know, I mean, I'm one set VBite maximalist. I might not even rebroadcast them when they drop. But like, you, you know, the expectation <laughs> is that like we're going to be like 10x this in cost, like when there is a few hundred million people. I mean, if there is five million Bitcoiners right now, it's like we're probably exaggerating. I, I love like, you know, sure, the the VCs and all the startups claimed, you know, Bitcoin has a hundred million users, 200 million users, 500 million. It's all bullshit. I mean, if there is 5 million people right now on Bitcoin, it's like, you know, pushing it. So can you just imagine, like, it's a great dry run, in my opinion, for us to sort of like get a little taste of what it's like when there is not just price, because when the price goes up, you know, all the, the retail comes in, they all want to buy their you know, they're 615 Bitcoin. But like now we have other people coming in with all these other uses that, you know, are completely idiotic, but they, they do set a floor, right, for transactions. And, you know, Lightning has to get its shit together, right? Because Lightning was never in scale around a high fee market. I think this um, brings up a great point. If you look at, there's some apps like uh, the Moon Wallet, maybe people try it, M-U-U-N, yep. Moon Wallet, where they're, <clears throat> they're trying to be this wallet where you can, pay to an on-chain destination and also to a lightning destination, right? Uh, but their concept is <clears throat> storing all the Bitcoin on-chain <clears throat> excuse me, and moving it to lightning on demand. That works fine when on-chain fees are like 10 cents. But now that they're like $10, suddenly every lightning payment, which should be basically free, costs $10 on Moon. So like that kind of app is, is, isn't sustainable. But splicing enables you to make a Moon wallet in the reverse. So... This means you can store your funds on the Lightning side and then make on-chain payments as needed, but get those cheap fees on Lightning when you need it. And I think this is going to be a big deal. Like, if you look at a lot of the apps that are out there, they ha they tend to have separate balances. They have a Bitcoin on-chain balance and a Bitcoin Lightning balance, right? And they don't really merge them together. When they are merged together, the app developers are doing all these crazy compromises, either making them charging the users a ton of money or making it slow or both, right? And I think <clears throat> Splice is going to just changes that game. And Eclair, obviously, with the Phoenix Wall is the first one that's going to be doing this. But eventually, I think all of them are going to have to switch over to it. And this is going to be a big UX improvement for, for new users. I still remember on Breeze where <clears throat> I didn't read the fine print. I never read the fine print. I always just pressed the button. <laughs> As people would know, I deleted my account on Noster <laughs> by pressing the button. So, like, I received more than my wallet could receive on chain. So they had to do this whole, like, you know, first, second, whatever transaction. And, you know, I, I didn't really bother reading to understand what the fuck was going on, but like essentially it took like two days or three days for me to get my money in and also pay fees. And this is, was in the low fee environment. Really? Yeah. 
So uh, Roy explained to me on a DM. I kind of forgot. It, it's been it's been like what a year now since since that happened. But it's just you know users are going to be users and they're going to do stupid shit and they're not going to read the fine print. So with custodial solutions, like all these things are resolved because you got mulligans, right? Like the user's activity can always be resolved because the user doesn't have Bitcoin, it has IOUs or some form of that. And so, so the custodian can sort of like fix the mistake, you know, with all the self-custody solutions or semi uh, self-custody solutions, you don't get backseas, right? Like you're kind of having to handle all these scenarios. Like I can see like splicing should probably help if you receive too much coin in your, because you can now break them apart, right? Yeah, it's just that when, whenever you we're using splicing and you're going to receive too much, we're going to splice those in. And we can do that zero conf because we know we're not going to double spend ourselves. And the user, if they want to send those funds out while it's zero conf, are trusting us, but they can just wait and uh, just con- they they can just wait for a transaction to confirm. Or if they want to do to you to be completely self custodial, they just have to turn off zero conf in the wallet, and then very cool. The wallet is completely non custodial. Very they very cool. Have to wait a bit when things are confirming, but with placing it makes it, it makes it much easier to tell users how much fees they need to pay on-chain for things to be confirmed soon. They will have better control on the on-chain fees of all their swaps, all their splice, basically. And um, yeah, it's going to give more control to the users while making it simpler for them and making usability better. So I'm really excited about this. This is going to be a very big upgrade for usability for mobile wallets and I think for nodes as well. So I hope everyone will follow in and also implement splicing and start leveraging so, uh- it. When do I get my update? Like two weeks for splicing on my Phoenix wallet? <laughs> if you want it on testnet, I can give that to you in two weeks. If you want it yet, <laughs> it's going to be definitely this year, hopefully before the end of the summer. Because my Phoenix right now has a Bitcoin mempool is full and fees are high. <laughs> See how <laughs> Phoenix is affected. <laughs> You're going to pay a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's still operational though. Uh, some other wallets had to <laughs> completely shut off because, you know, they... They weren't so keen on full RBF and the DGENs definitely solved that debate. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's, I, I don't know why we still having this, this debate comes back. It's like, it, it only comes back when the fees are low. I, I mean, it, it's obvious. <laughs> like, it's, you know, like I always say that zero conf Bitcoin is not your Bitcoin. Like it really is that simple. So, you know, if you want to do that in your own sort of mixing of UTXOs within your own control, I mean, by all means, like, that's great. But once you send to a third party, that's a different story. So, so anyways, so, so that's really cool. I mean, so splicing seems to like fix everything. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) What what other aspects of splicing we have not, uh, we we have about like, say like another, like we, we can still explore a little bit and then we start like closing up. So like, what, what else should we, should we bring up? I wanted uh, you guys to finish up the heuristics because uh, we are switching to taproot channels, right? I know LND and LDK have championed that. Uh, how does that change with like P2WSH on-chain for unilateral versus P2TR or whatever on-chain? And then, you know, because Lightning implementations are first other than the DGENs, uh, are the DGENs actually giving more cover to Lightning users now? Like, how does how did the heuristics adapt and change? I can chime in a little bit on on some of that. Um, and Jeff, you you may uh, you you were talking about gossip earlier. You may be 
um, a good one to talk about it a little bit further. But um, the concept of tapper channels, I'm I'm excited from them. I mean, we get PTLCs. It's one step closer to PTLCs, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's probably still years away, but it's one step closer. We need we need tapper channels for that. But there's a really cool concept where part of the reason I was able to do my hidden lightning network probing to try to find UTXOs that were part of a lightning channel was because I was using the UTXO set and specifically looking for basically what looked like a multi-sig transaction. A UTXO with a multi-sig uh, output. Tapper channels, if we start moving towards those and every spend, if, if we start getting to the point where like every spend is a taproot transaction, then it starts to get harder to distinguish what could possibly be a multi-sig transaction, which you know what could be what could be a lightning channel and things like that. The the thing, the missing piece, I think, is the gossip itself. If you're opening unannounced channels, that's one thing you can you can make it look like it's just a normal taproot um, transaction. But when you get into gossip and you publish your transaction, you publish your channel, you're automatically contributing. I am one of the owners of this multi-sig taproot lightning channel. And you just broadcast to everyone that can listen to lightning gossip, which you should assume is, you know, viewable by the whole world. I'm really curious of like some of the um, concepts there, Jeff. You, if you know more on some of the gossip v2 stuff in regards to like tapper channels, I'd be real, you'd be better to be able to explain it. Yeah, I don't know a ton, but yeah, you're you're correct in, in that you're essentially doxing yourself by saying, you know, this is my, my UTXO in the gossip uh, process with the, you know, V2, which again is a long way off and it might be a, you know, a step between with V1.5. Instead, you're, you're sort of saying, I I have at least this much, or I think there maybe there's a range of, of sort of value you have tied in, into a UTXO and thus like, and I guess I, we didn't really touch on this too much earlier, but but the point of, of actually using a UTXO in, in gossip is so it's a, a denial of service uh, uh, vector, I guess, if you didn't have that. So if you're just freely able to gossip without having to actually block Bitcoin into a channel and the, the gossip network is basically unusable. So um, we still want that property. And so with gossip v2, there needs to be a way, uh, it looks like with zero knowledge proofs would be the idea to still say that you have Bitcoin locked up, but not saying exactly where it is and how much. Yeah, I'd say that the state of that proposal is basically zero knowledge proofs, magic maths, details left as an exercise to the reader, but we'll see. <laughs> so I, I've kind of uh, declined in my LN, uh, whatever, keeping up with it. Gossip V2, correct me if I'm wrong, is Alex Meyer's proposal that has incorporated mini sketch, or is that 1.5? Okay. Yeah, there are a lot of things about gossip that we need to fix because gossip is basically the, the simplest form of gossip we could get away with that was easy to implement. Nobody is ever satisfied with it, but it's really hard to make it to make it good, to do something that's really good. So there are a lot of things we'd like to change, but some of these things conflict. Some of these things don't have a really nice solution for. For example, all the ZKP stuff would really need a production grade ZKP library that would be available for everyone. And good people, luck with that. Yeah, people still don't know yeah. what ZKP system is going to be the one that people will still care about in two years. So it's really yeah, we did an exploration. Yeah, we did an exploration a while back uh, about that. And we, we just, you know, like you said, there just wasn't anything that was, um, I guess, 
thoroughly sort of gone through the ringer and tested enough that you'll be, I guess, happy with choosing. So there's still a lot of work. Well, I mean, anytime you hear any anything that requires a new implementation of a novel cryptographic primitive that is production grade, you add five years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It's a good rule. Yeah. Even Tapper channels themselves, they, yeah. in order to broadcast them, you need a gossip change. So like we could get, there's been some, I think, testing, uh, interrupt testing between it right now. You can have private unannounced uh, Tapper channels. You can't have public gossip, uh, Tapper channels yet without a gossip change. So that's, that in and of itself, <laughs> I don't know, could take five years, who knows. Yeah, but w- one of the interesting things with gossip is that it's it's not a critical system of lighting. It's something that we can evolve. If there's if there's a flaw in the cryptography here, it's not the end of the world. It's probably not going to break horribly. It's not going to. People cannot lose money because of that. So there are a lot of ways we can still experiment with things, even though they're not. They wouldn't be ready to put in the signature logic for Bitcoin, for example. But we we can take more dangerous approaches to play with cryptography for the gossip part. And it's okay if we have to change it entirely afterwards because it's broken. Mm-hmm. So it's a good ground for experimentation, but we don't want to waste too much time either on experimenting with too many things that we know won't work in the long run. There you go. So see, uh, if you are a uh, researcher who can make a production grade uh, cryptographic library, apply for a grant. You know, that's what OpenSats is for. Just please focus on music too. Forget about all this ZKP nah, stuff. I am done in music too. I, I am a Frost evangelist now. Fully Frost sold, Frost maximalist. Oh, are you roast sold though? Uh, I mean, the, the roast can, it's, it's a interesting. Yeah. yeah. No, but the, the Frost stuff is just amazing. We won't get into this on this episode, but. Uh, we'll have to call it Jesse on, I guess. Yeah, Jesse Posner. That's right. <laughs> I, I, I have a strong feeling now that fro- the Frost fixes everything. So, so guys, um, let's start wrapping up then. So is there, is there anything that part of this, part of this conversation, like you, you really think that you wish it was like sort of mentioned or discussed? Yeah. The one thing I might just add is I, I, I know that I think one thing about splicing is it has so many benefits. You could probably talk for many, many hours about it. So I was going to touch on the, like one of the things I wanted to get to just just briefly is um, please do the big lightning routing nodes. I think they're actually most excited about splicing and um, the, the, a couple of reasons, like we were talking about how if you as a consumer have an app that wants to pay for lightning and, and on chain, uh, currently you, they store the funds on chain, move it to lightning on demand. That's going to reverse. You can start on lightning routing nodes have the same problem. They need to be ready to open a channel at any moment. If an opportunity arises, so they end up with this whole pile of, uh, just for them, dead capital, Bitcoin sitting on chain, waiting at risk. to deploy into, and at risk, waiting to deploy into a, a new channel. And with splicing, you can store that dead capital in a, in a channel, and you can instantly move it out of a, your lowest quality channel into the new opportunity at any moment. So, like, there's this dead capital problem that uh, is just eliminated by splicing, which I think is a pretty big deal. So, like, could I keep some pre made utxos code for this somehow oh that's an interesting question you would need your your peer to be on it too right but um just like let's say we're both like big liquidity providers right or whatever uh, uh or you're a big wallet and i'm a big liquidity provider 
So, you know, we have some, and we have some off like a uh, side channel sort of like coordination as well. Right. And, uh, you know, I want to use some proper HSMs on my end. So do you, cause you know, say we have like, you know, a hundred thousand coins to make liquidity for Bitcoin lightning. You know, we definitely don't want all that money to be hot. So we, but we want to also like pre prepare things. So they're kind of like ready to go to leave the HSM and go somewhere else. Is there anything interesting that can be done here? Yeah, there's a couple things like you could pre-sign. Uh, people talk about pre-sign splices, which is a little wild. And in theory, you can pre-sign a splice to close when that spec exists. But um, the way the other direction you can go is with the VLS remote signer stuff. So this is be like a, the equivalent of a cold card, but plugged into the internet that like uh, has its own signing rules, and it's like a remote key for the for the server. Personally, if I had a, a lot of money in there, I would want multiple of those in a multi-sig. I want like five, it's a lot of money, 10 of those in very different locations. And they would auto sign for certain things that I pre-approve and then not for other things in a multi-sig quorum. But you can, you can kind of do both. I There's, mean, technically you could do that with CK Bunker right now. Um, pre-signing stuff out of a channel, something that T-Bass was talking about, God, I think like two years ago. Uh, and the idea being that like, um, if I can just <laughs> correct me, T-Bass, but uh, the idea being they had a lot of people that would open the app get a channel from them and then never come back. And then they had to force close those channels, which was expensive. And if they had a, uh, had done a pre-signed splice that they just held on to at a lower fee, that would allow them to get like, you know, the bulk of the money back at a lower fee. And maybe that could solve the UK use case you're talking about MVK. Oh, that's cool. Because it, it is a challenge, right? Right now I was talking to a player who might be a very big liquidity provider in this space. And, you know, like due to how, not regulation, but just like how how you have the stuff for enterprise. You know, they're going to end up using uh, Amazon HSMs and sort of like get stuck in that world, which is a world of pain and sorrow and is not secure and it has no privacy. <laughs> so like, I don't know, like I, I still like I haven't moved into this space because I still don't see a technical solution on the hardware side. Uh, aside from the current cold card HSMs, the CK bunker, right? Aside from like, it's not quite there, like what we can do to provide a meaningful improvement. Because like, we can keep stuff cold or even USB connected via Tor, right? Like safe enough. But the Lightning solutions don't take advantage of that in any sort of sane way. So I don't see any point. I think that the big challenge is the transaction you publish might end up being justice. If, if it's stale, you're going to get screwed and lose all your money. So like the you end up needing to have an awareness of the whole blockchain and network to use a transaction safely, which you can do too, right? It's just, it gets, it gets complicated. Well, well, yeah, exactly. I was just about to touch on like the VLS project and this is like the ambitions that they have essentially, right? But uh, when you are adding all this complexity to that uh, external remote signer, it has like all these other checks about like velocity, whitelisting, blacklisting, other specific peer instances, maybe like time, maybe thresholds. So it, it does quickly become, at what point are you just running another like light client or full node? Exactly. Uh, it, it's just like, I, I'm still failing to see a sweet spot for the, let's call it like the, the warm, cold, available liquidity, right? That is not necessarily at like Blind. full risk. It's yeah. not full risk yet, right? It's not like actually hot, hot, but it's like kind of like ready to go in a a slightly different solution that like could put it at, 
it could move to this other uh, facility that like that would be probably the wallet. But uh, anyways, that that's a part that I'm curious. I just don't don't know yet where to go. It would be cool to see CK Bunker added to maybe even one of the six base points or if, if you guys were to hack it together. <laughs> I've been trying to nerd snipe some people for yeah, a while. Yeah, I think I think it just goes <laughs> back to just like if you're blind signing anyways, then you're at almost the same trust model. That's right. So it's like you have to do all the policy stuff. Yep. Um, yeah. And maybe you can still do that. Um, you know, you could have, I don't know, some secure channel that, that it talks to with, with your actual running node. I, I mean, yeah, it's hard. Once we have frost, then it changes a bit, right? Because now you can have some better thresholds uh, 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 distribution, right? Uh, of how you move funds, the authorization of the funds, and those signatures can actually move probably through the Lightning message network as well. I don't know. It's like, this is all like sort of like moon brain uh, for later. Yes. <laughs> Let's add frost to splicing. Let's go. That's right. Let's go. Let's move uh, Lightning communication. Let's do it on Noster. Let's switch. Frost splices on Noster in two weeks. You heard That's it here right. first. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Okay, guys, any, any other things that, that should be part of this uh, conversation that we missed? Well, I don't know if we, we touched on this, but there was that swap in potentium proposal. Um, oh, yeah. The Z-Man, which I believe is splicing. Um, I'm only like vaguely familiar with it. Uh, I read it a little while back. But I, I think it's a way to essentially go from on-chain to off-chain in, in sort of that, that um, I guess, like not quite hot manner, if, if you will. Is anyone else here familiar with that proposal? I've I've talked to Jesse Posner, I think Nadav Cohen, and maybe Matt and Steve about it. That's about it. Oh, Rindell too. Rindell explains everything so well to me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, like when the galaxy brain gets a little too far, I go, uh, I go, I slide into uh, uh, Rindell's uh, DMs. <laughs> yeah. So okay, so I think there's one more topic that I'd love to address is the eCash stuff on top of Lightning that like to me it fixes pretty much most of the scalability problems and it makes the custodios to be a 10 times better even though there's two custodios you know how is this affecting like your thoughts around like Lightning if, if it is at all it's a really interesting thing because as someone that's been trying to push as much education and and you know, application side lightning privacy for a long time. You know, Fediments just kind of come in and almost solve lightning privacy <laughs> from a lot of aspects of like you not the custodian doesn't know anything about the user or where they're spending or the original source of funds um, in any way. So you give up the custodial aspects of it at least temporarily. You don't have to leave your coins on there for very long. You, you can't do it instantly. Like there's still timing analysis and amount analysis to be aware of. There's um, you know IP address leakage, so you got to make sure you're going through Tor or maybe even something like Nostra as a way to obfuscate um, the source of, of of network. So there's there's still a lot of other concerns. But if you do it correctly and you're willing to give up some risk, um, loss of funds, uh, it's a huge improvement from a privacy perspective. Now being able to receive into a mint. Um, now you just effectively got receiver privacy and then being able to send that out at any time, at least waiting like a day or so, you send that out and, and the, the custodian doesn't know 
who the original person was. Uh, they don't even know where the source of funds came from, first of all. But then they can't correlate. This incoming payment is now correlated to this outgoing payment on Lightning. It's just a huge step up in, in privacy. You know, one of the reasons why I bring this up is not because it's just the next new shiny thing. It's uh, it's because like, at least to me, like I, I really believe that between Noster and eCash is like where most of the lightning demand is going to come in the next couple of years. I don't think it's going to be from people, normies trying to buy coffee. I think it's going to be from this sort of like side technologies trying to address some problems with like very specific solutions. So like, it's going to be like, you know, people trying to do mining Fedi pools, right? So like they're Fedi mint pools for mining. It's going to be, you know, this kind of like very specific thing that requires the eCash solution in a way that they're developing and it's going to bring like huge demand for lightning. Yeah, um, it also really touches on the, um, the scalability aspect of, of Bitcoin. And, and like you mentioned earlier, not everyone will have a UTXO and the, the Fedi mints model where, you know, there's sort of these community banks, if you will, and, and, and interoperability through, through lightning helps solve that. And, and like, you know, in this, this sort of community aspect is also about, you know, how would you onboard people? Like if everyone's not going to have a UTXO, well, they're going to have to earn Bitcoin, right? And and I, I, I really think that's a pretty elegant solution. Hopefully you see this. I, you know. I mean, like I was, you know, I always found eCash to be sort of like kind of like idiotic at like how it was sort of like like presented and available back in the day because you never had like a, an anchor of truth in it. So, you know, it, it was kind of like, eh, you know, might as well just use like Fiat. You know, now that we have like Lightning sort of being the I.O., for uh, eCash and that be the the source of truth for that for that sort of mint like it, it changes everything right like it makes the thing like fully usable and, and it does again it breaks down those etxos into smaller units and do not have a footprint on chain un- until you try to get out of that mint so anyways like i i feel like you know, this is a lot more interesting and, and a lot more shippable than all that tarot stuff and all the other things that people were trying to do, like kind of like shit coins on Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I don't know, like it, it's a, it caught me by surprise at how fast, especially because of Cashew, uh, the public development of Cashew happened, like how sort of like ahead this is and how usable it already is. All right, guys, you know, after my eCash rant there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we've reached a good point here. So, any final thoughts, uh, Jeff? Yeah. So, I, I think um, this we we talk, a common theme, I guess, has been um, you know on chain versus off chain, and we talked a bit about that quite a bit, and especially as as fees are rising, and and just be able to design protocols uh, with that in mind, I think is a very important thing. And and you know, there's you know, there's things we need to do in flighting to improve that, but we're working towards it. I think we didn't really touch on much, but like, uh, we, oh, I guess we did talk about like building on Lightning, and there's a the talk about like coin joining of Lightning, but we didn't talk about onion messages and, and how that maybe sort of a building block into some of these these protocols of the future. So it'd be pretty interesting to see where that goes. Uh, Tony, yeah, yeah, thanks for the conversation, guys. Yeah, I feel like everything has been said already, so I don't know if I have final thoughts, but I do think um, you know privacy on Lightning is improving, it's getting better. And I'm really excited about some of the scalable solutions that are that could very well end up being a very privacy enhancing feature as well. T Bast. 
Yeah, thanks everyone. That was fun. And as Tony said, my my conclusion would be privacy on Lightning can already be quite good depending on how you use it. It's getting better and better. Splicing is really happening. A lot of progress has been made the past year. We've discovered a lot of things, improved a lot of things, and it's really there's no open issues anymore. Basically, we know how to do everything and do everything correctly. So it's coming and it's going to be very useful and it's going to be a very nice building block for everyone. Thanks, man. Dusty. Yeah, I, I'm just uh, excited for the future. I think that uh, splicing is here. Lighting is getting better and better. And there's endless challenges, but we're, but we're tackling them all. I put together a little site if you were looking for more information on splicing. I got lightningsplice.com. And the goal is to put like, all the resources uh, that help try to explain things to people there in one, uh, one spot. So check that out, lightningsplice.com. Very cool. By the way, guys, if anybody has any resources, links or whatever, uh, feel free to just put on the on the chat and we're going to add to the show notes. Vivek, any final thoughts? Yeah, I just want to say thank you to all of our guests and everyone that's implementing Splices. Uh, I think full credit to Dusty on the CLN side. I think Lisa as well. Uh, on the LDK side, I believe that's Jeff and maybe someone else. Jeff, you can chime in on who? Yeah, so Dogkin's doing some of the preliminary work, also fuel funding, and then Jervis and myself will be are, are sort of working on splicing, but really early stages. Awesome. So you're the splicing guy over there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. So next next quarter, Q3 is, is the goal for some time in Q3 to have it done. Let's go. Look at that. And then thank you, T-Best as well, who's... Uh, you know, tested the early interop for these sort of things with like V2 opens and whatnot. Uh, really grateful for that. And I believe on the L&D side, that's someone named Eugene. Correct me if I'm mistaken. But yeah, I, I want to say thank you because there's just too much crap now. Like we talked about APO, LN Symmetry with Splices and with Music 2 and then incorporating that into pay joins. And then how does that tie in with like other routing pathfinding stuff for mobile with uh, async payments and trampoline, you know, so it, there's just there's a lot of words there. Yeah, man. <laughs> exactly. Buzzwords, buzzwords on buzzwords and an ever changing uh, landscape. So uh, I don't know how you guys do it, but really appreciate your efforts, whether on the app dev side or protocol side. Listen, guys, uh, thank you so much for coming and giving two hours of your time. I find that these conversations are super important and, and, you know, we need to get the information from the people who actually write the code out to the world. So it's not just the LARPers sort of like uh, talking about the things and uh, like, like Seared Salmon. <laughs> thank you. Uh, no, seriously, guys, thank you. Thank you so much for, for coming on and, uh, and talking about all this. It's always an education for me. I am not as, uh, as versed on the, on the lightning things. Uh, so, uh, so thank you. Hey, uh, when, when lightning at a coin kite store. <laughs> so in a good fashion, like a good enterprise, we are seeking a fully managed, uh, solution because, you know, there is real customers trying to give us real money and I do not want to deal with that. <laughs> so, uh, we, and, and it's, it's only inbound liquidity, which is a nightmare to manage too. And the invoices are not small. So, you know, if people are trying to give you a grand, like all the time, it's a problem. So we're, we're you know, we're, we're working on it. We're talking to a bunch of different providers and uh, hopefully people will take off their, off our hands. And as we get more versed into non-boomer chain, 
bunker coin, uh, then uh, we can uh, we'll do it ourselves. We have listen, we have a a Sea Lightning node now running for I don't know how long, a year or two, still running. It doesn't connect to anyone, but it's still running. So yeah, I, I do I do deserve to be called out. I mean, our store still uses legacy addresses, but anyways. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's more of like a pitch for people to uh, win our business. So that's you can reach out to me or NVK to convince <laughs> us to use Lightning. You should just skip the Sigurd address and just go straight to Taproot addresses. Yeah, I mean, we do legacy addresses. We have never changed the store. It's it's running. The code is running. <laughs> I mean, I think the server has like five or seven year uptime. So I'm not, I'm not messing with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much. You guys have a great day. Thanks for listening. For more resources, check the show notes. We put a lot of effort into them. And remember, we don't have a crystal ball. So let us know about your project. Visit Bitcoin.review to find out how to get in touch. Mm-hmm.